Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more light, more love. Yet another fantastic guest. As I occasionally say, I work very hard to bring you the best guests with the best information. We have another guest today that falls into that bandwidth. Gregory Ripley is here. And we're going to be talking about his most recent book, which is an amazing new translation of an ancient text called The Hundred Remedies of the Tao, Spiritual Wisdom for Interesting Times. So, wow, already you know this is going to be cool. We're going to talk to Gregory in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, click that button that connects us so you know when we have this information. It's really just information. We're just nodes of information. This incredible information shows up on this podcast. You know about it. And tell a friend, tell someone that you know also that loves these type of podcasts and loves this information or needs some of this high frequency information that we bring. You know those people, bring them here, midnightonearth.com. Okay, one more thing before we go into our conversation. We're going to read Gregory's bio. So here we go. Gregory Ripley is a Taoist priest in the 22nd generation of the Kwanzaa Longmen tradition, as well as a nature and forest therapy guide. He holds a bachelor's degree in Asian studies from the University of Tennessee and a master's degree in acupuncture from Northwestern Health Sciences University. The author of the Hundred Remedies of the Tao, Tao of Sustainability, and Voice of the Elders, and more. He lives currently in Golden Valley, Minnesota, and he is here with us today. Hello, Gregory. Hey, Jake. Great to be with you. Oh, thank you for being here. We have not covered the Tao. This is a topic, this is a subject we just have not covered, so I'm super stoked. I'm very honored that you're here. Yeah, great, great to be here. Well, in one sense, um, anything you've covered, uh, you've covered the Tao. So <laughs> oh, let's talk about that. What is the Tao? Because we have so many listeners that are young in the younger age demographic. They're, they're new to this information. They, they, they're open to it. They're feeling it. They know there's truth there, but they don't know a lot yet. What would you tell those people? about the Tao. What is the Tao? Well, in in one sense the Tao you could say is everything. It is it's everything and it's nothing. It's everything that exists and everything that doesn't exist. It's it's the universe uh or the multiverse or whatever is out there. And you know, that whole is beyond beyond naming, beyond knowing, beyond defining 
um, it's a mystery, right? That's one of the words, one of the names for the Tao in Chinese is Xuan, which means mystery. Uh, so uh, in the Tao Te Ching, it says, you know, I do not know its name, therefore I call it the Tao, which means, you know, the way. So it's it's like the way of the universe, the way everything works. And uh, so, yeah, anything in one sense, anything and everything in the universe is is part of the Tao. So. But people do around the world follow this, not as a religion per se, but morally a spiritual philosophy, a philosophy of being. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, and those categories can get tricky, right? Uh, with religion, philosophy, uh, you know, an art of living or a way of being, any of those sorts of things, right? Uh a spiritual path, um, you know, to me, they're kind of all the same. I, I kind of look at them in the same way. Um, you know, if we wanted, sometimes people want to only define religion as something with, uh, you know, a creator or a higher power that's like a personified God. Um, and so in that sense, um, you know, we wouldn't typically think of Taoism as a religion, but then um, I tend to look at it uh, as a way of practicing. Um, so you could practice in a more religious sort of a way, or you could practice in a more philosophical and or um, spiritual way, just depending on how, how you want to approach things and how you want to integrate it into your own life. So Yes, and that does seem to be a part of it is that intuition, following the inner voice, the inner guidance is a huge part of this because that in itself is the way, the flow of the universe. Yeah, for sure. You uh, Everybody is going to... Uh, approach it differently and everybody is going to find something different uh that they need um you know within the teachings of Taoism. uh uh you'll you'll find what you need in one way or another so and just very briefly where did Taoism originate you're saying china how old is it where did yeah. it begin well um what we can for sure say are like the beginnings of Taoism as an organized kind of religion would be in the like second century. Um, but of course, the Tao Te Ching is much older than that. So if we if we want to consider Tao, the Tao Te Ching as being like the roots of Taoism, then you'd be talking back into the B.C., uh, you know, um, say fourth or fifth century, somewhere in there. And then even even then, you know, this thing didn't just poof and <laughs> yeah. appear out of nowhere, right? So it's right. like, obviously, there were things going on before that that developed into a more formal uh, kind of tradition. So, um, you know, it, it goes back a good couple thousand years, at least anyway. And again, it collects universal truths, which are beyond yeah. time. And if we're looking at the roots of humanity, we could say time immemorial. It's just at that time in human history, these concepts, these ideas, which were already in practice, seem to coalesce and kind of form this, this idea of Taoism. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, at that time, um, you had a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different schools of thought. Kind of like, you know, similar to um, ancient Greece, where you had these different schools of philosophy, you had different um, what we might call philosophers um, or teachers uh, who were either looking to be like, um, you know, advisors to kings and stuff like that, or 
um, were, you know, off in the mountains doing their own thing and had had some followers that they were, you know, teaching different meditation techniques or things like that. Um, and so a lot of these different schools of thought talked about Tao in as in like a way, their way of doing things or their way of practicing their way of living. Um, and then I think for the Taoists, they wanted to take that idea in the widest sense. So they weren't interested in a particular way, but like the way, the way of the universe, the way everything works. Right. Right. And that perspective is not attachment. You could say, because you're letting go of trying to put things in boxes, trying to really grasp it, but just surrendering and then becoming that is part of that. Right. That is the Tao, just surrendering. Yeah, there is, there's definitely, um, <coughs> an aspect to that. Um, both, um, you know, letting go of, of a lot of our own distinct distinctions and judgments that we make that are based on, you know, our own kind of self-centered or egoic ideas. Right. And, and yeah, finding common ground with all of life, um, and yeah, just broadening our perspective, you know, when we, when we, we get really self-centered, you know, our world just becomes that much smaller. Right. And, and we want to keep, keep enlarging our world until it's, you know, maybe we can experience it as synonymous with the entire world or the universe or beyond, you know, so. Yes. And in your book, you talk about how it's really beyond words, what we're trying to do that just talking about it, we can kind of grasp a little bit of it, but when you're in <laughs> it, when you're experiencing it, you know, it's indescribable, but that it's there and, and it's re that is the true reality. Everything else is kind of just like layered on top of it, whether it has a true form or function, I guess it has yet to be determined, but <laughs> it does seem like that is the, the core essence of being. Yeah. It's like, on the one hand, we can think of it as like you were saying, kind of as an experience almost, or like, um, as a, you know, we, we can have, an experience in meditation um, that we can't really put into words and we can try to describe it, but it's, you know, we can never do it justice. Um, and then on the more practical mundane side of things, you know, we can have traditions and culture and things that build up around these, these teachings that are hoping to lead us to that. Right. Um, and so then we end up with traditions like Taoism, Buddhism, what have you. But the thing that we're ultimately aiming for or aiming to experience or um, or embody or all of those things is, is ultimately beyond all those distinctions. You know? Absolutely. It's it's absolutely because you're really in a higher frequency at that point. That that is an astral experience, you could say. But there were people writing about these feelings they were having. People were having revelations, they were having inspirational thoughts that led to them capturing them in a book form. And you found one of these books and all of your studies that you felt really attached to, or at least connected to, called the Bai Yao Lu. Now, how did you find this book? Because this is a translation of this ancient book, this book that you have now. How did you find this original text? Yeah, actually, the so um, there's a, a a Taoist studies professor named Dr. Livia Cohn, who um, I actually published an earlier book with her, and so I've 
I, I never worked with her when I was in school per se, but then um, we've connected since uh, in the years since. And she has, um, gosh, she's published uh, so many books. She's like um, really the, in a lot of ways, kind of the modern foundation of Taoist studies in the, in the West or certainly. <laughs> she's in the, the OG, huh? She is. She really is. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so she, uh, she has a collection of um, translations of precepts texts, which is what this is, is uh, what this is from um, that had just a big collection, of a lot of these texts um, in it. And that's where I originally came across it. As far as I know, she's the only other, person that's translated it um and she uh she probably translated it 20 years ago or something i'm not sure how long ago but um so i always really liked the text and i always thought it was just very approachable um but she did these translations where um it's pretty much just the straight the straight text with with no commentary or anything and and so i wanted to kind of expose this to a broader um readership uh more of a general readership and uh and so i i did my own translation and then added a commentary uh to each of the the entries to kind of um put them in context um and and sort of ground them in the the broader tradition of taoism and so a lot of the commentaries you know i'll be of course quoting from the Tao Te Ching or Zhuangzi or some of the other ancient texts um, to kind of bring out the deeper meaning in the text, but then also um, using a lot of later text as well. So a lot of times people are only familiar with the Tao Te Ching and the Zhuangzi, and that's about it, right? Right. And, and every day there's a new translation of the Tao Te Ching out there available. Um, we may have enough now. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like we might have I, enough I think we're okay. Yeah, so I I didn't want to do yet another translation of the Tao Te Ching. So here's the different texts that people aren't uh, familiar with, and um, you know, I I I really thought it was approachable, and that since there's a hundred uh, different remedies, it it kind of covers the gamut, and any and almost any situation you're going to come up across in your life. Um, you know, there's probably something in here that, that will be helpful for you. So, Oh, absolutely. The book is incredible. I thought it was super cool. And again, it's a book with a hundred statutes or the statutes of a hundred remedies. Is that correct? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, that's what it's originally called. Um, uh, the Lu in that uh, Baiyao Lu means statutes or it's, it's, it's like precepts or, you know, it's, it's like rules, except that, um, these are stated as remedies. So they're not really rules like thou shalt not do this or that. It's more like doing these things will be a remedy for uh, a situation you might have in life, a problem or, uh, you know, in the using the, uh, the metaphor of disease and, and cures and that sort of a thing. It's like you may have, um, mistaken ideas or confusion about life that we, we could think of as diseases of the mind or something like that. Right. And so here are remedies for those diseases um, in yeah. that, in that sense. I, I thought that was super cool because it kind of is a different kind of definition of the concept of remedy. It's almost mm -hmm. like you're getting the answer before the question arises. And there are 100 examples of this. This is from the sixth 
century. This is a sixth century Taoist text, and it's a guide to what enlightened or sagely behavior looks like and then how to emulate that. So I thought that was so cool. So you get these concepts, these 100 precepts, these principles, and the goal is to raise yourself up in such a way that, that you're in the same frequency as these sages and these people of, of spiritual stature. What do you think about that? Why was that such a motivating factor? Everybody wanted to do better, but then you had this guidebook was like, okay, here's how sages act here. Here's a hundred different points, key points mm-hmm. you can hone in on to, to be, to be that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's like on the one hand, it's, um, it's similar to, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, if people are familiar with, uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius or something like that, right. Um, much how, you know, he was writing a, a book for himself, reminders to himself. Um, in a lot of ways, these, uh, you can think of in a similar way. So, um, or, you know, another way to think about them is, is like mindfulness, uh, mindfulness verses from like Thich Nhat Hanh or somebody like that, right. In the Buddhist tradition where these are, these are reminders, you know, of um, so often when we, when we talk about Taoism, people want to focus on the whole go with the flow thing and which is, which is great. And we want to do that ultimately, but we can't just uh, right now, just be like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And that's going with the flow. It's like, no, that you, you've got your own ideas of, of, uh, and you're just wanting to do whatever you want. Um, so we, you know, we can't act selfishly in a way that we, we are just going to say, Oh, I'm just going with the flow. We, we have to, um, you know, kind of learn about the big picture and, and what the flow of life really is, how things really work. Um, in order to, um, you know, adapt ourselves or, or adjust our lives in order to flow with that greater flow. And so if we look at, you know, great spiritual sages from, from any tradition really, but of course, in this case, we're focusing on, on Taoists that, um, you know, we, we, we know when we recognize, um, wisdom and and better ways of living and better ways of being and so you know until those become natural to us we can emulate um you know the the actions and the behaviors of of wiser people than ourselves now i think that's great advice obviously it's almost kingly saint advice is coming from these very high frequency people and it's helping people stay in balance. That's the other thing yeah. too. It's like you're saying, like you get these concepts starting to integrate, but then the ego kind of feeds in a little bit. Says, "Oh, you don't have to do this. You're just about." This is a guidebook you could say to keep things in balance. So when people read it and they understand it, they can say, "Oh, I'm off course a little bit over here. Let me let me bring this into balance," as you could say. So was this distributed to? people publicly or was this only available to certain classes and then do we know who wrote this exactly we don't know who wrote it precisely we know kind of um you know we can look at 
what temples and monasteries were around at the time and kind of make some guesses of, of like what communities they came out of and that sort of thing. Um, it, this wouldn't have at the time probably wouldn't have been widely distributed. Um, later on, um, they came up with what they sometimes call morality books um, that they even still print. They'll have these free little books that they'll just hand out at temples and stuff for lay people. And there's they'll they'll be similar in that they're focused on you know ethical teachings and and how to live your life and that kind of a thing, um, but in the earlier days of Taoism, there was an interesting um, kind of dichotomy between what was public and what was kind of more esoteric or more secret, um, and it wasn't necessarily secret in the sense of like. Um, well, actually, it was kind of they 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 had some traditions and lineages early on that, you know, there would be some new revelation, um, new texts would come out and new teachings. And for several generations, they might have only been passed down to, you know, one or two people um, in each generation. And then eventually wow. they would become more widely disseminated, um, kind of similar to um, I know there's some Buddhist traditions that are kind of like this. They have like the Terma tradition in uh, Tibetan Buddhism where. Um, there's people find teachings that have been hidden away, um, or they have, you know, their own new revelations of teachings that they'll, they'll share. And, and often they will just keep them kind of close to the, close to the vest, so to speak for a, for a generation or two. And then, and then a time will come when they become more widely distributed. And, and so it was kind of that way in medieval Taoism, um, a lot of the lineages were sort of secretive. If you didn't belong to the lineage, you, nothing was shared with you. Um, and then there were more public teachings like, you know, people learning from the Tao Te Ching and, and Zhuangzi and stuff like that. And all of, you know, anybody that could read could read those texts. They weren't like, you know, secret or, or uh, anything. That's pretty mind blowing because it's almost like they, they had their own secret societies in a way, but why was this information held back? It seems like if you get a divine download, that's meant to activate other humans, you want to get it out there as soon as possible. Like why would people covet it in this way? Did they feel like the frequency of the general population wasn't ready? Was there ancestral traditions that prevented it? It just doesn't make sense to me as a humanitarian because it seems like, you know, you're in this place, you get this awesome download about how we can all do better. Uh, you want to share it. So why, why did yeah. they do that? You know, I think part of it was that, um, I think some of these traditions were really complicated and, and it was almost like, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, almost like ceremonial magic or something to where it was like certain rituals had to be performed very specifically and in certain ways and practices, even meditation practices had to be done very specifically and took hours and hours and hours and, you know, years to, to work your way through all this stuff. And that, so that I think they, you know, initially really just wanted to pass it on to people who were like super committed and could actually, you know, follow the teachings and embody them and everything. And then, um, you know, times change. I think, you know, in our day and age, it's almost a necessity that we have things that are more approachable and more that we can integrate into our daily lives more and everything. Um, because, you know, the vast majority of the world just, we can't do those sorts of 
you know, can't commit to that kind of a thing. Um, and, you know, it's not really what's needed at this time, maybe, uh, per se, whereas back then, maybe, uh, you know, everything moved at a slower pace back then. So uh, maybe that's part of it that, um, you know, you could commit your years of your life to to something like this, um, whereas, you know, it's almost impossible to do that these days. I mean, there are ex- exceptions, of course, but. Well, it's good that the information is out there. It seems like yeah. it's necessary and perhaps the frequency of humanity itself changed to allow this information to just be accessible, whereas the information itself didn't feel like it was ready for humanity. If that's even possible from an animism perspective, consciousness information, it's all alive. Perhaps now as humans, we're all ready for the mystery school information, the mystery Tao information, all of it now, because we have to ascend. We have to evolve. This could be a huge part of that. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, a lot of those older traditions, like with different mystery schools and stuff like that, and they used to have, um, I mean, they almost used to sort of put on plays, you know, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> all this pageantry and all this kind of stuff. And maybe, you know, maybe that part of things we don't necessarily need so much anymore because we're, I mean, our ability to present ideas and images and everything is, is so different now that um, I think when when people were trying to convey ideas that they had no other way to convey other than describing or maybe drawing a picture of something um, versus now you can do all this crazy multimedia special effect, you know, (laughs) what, you know, virtual this and that and the other. And um, so if you can imagine it, you can, you can bring that vision to life and show it to other people so much more easily now than you probably would have been able to do then. People used to have to build up these very um, detailed and precise images in their imagination, which would take, of course, hours and hours and tons of practice to do. And maybe, um, you know, it's, it's almost a shortcut. And in some ways, it's maybe not the best thing for our brains that we can externally do this now um and and see it but at the same time when we see that image you know once even um it's almost like it's it's seared in there it's like then it becomes that much easier to picture right yes We, we see the image and we're like oh yeah wow look at that and then you can remember it imagine it again versus trying to trying to build up this image solely in your mind um with no context yeah with no context no frame of reference it does give us a frame of reference and with time speeding up itself it seems everything is accelerating that like you were saying that time to unlock the information via pageantry and such we just don't have that anymore and it's nothing negative it's just part of the universal process and we're just a different type of human now and that's okay and this universal wisdom though the truth found in these places still apply they were there then which is almost 
I, it's just almost impossible to process when you think about these deep spiritual revelations and information that was available when humanity was still kind of in this infancy. It's mind-blowing, but it was all there because the information is timeless. They're universal truth. They're coming from somewhere outside of the earth. They're being brought here, and that's why they hold up over time. And you translated this. So how did you translate this? And what was the process for that? Well, I mean, uh, I took it one at a time, of course. Um, it was, it was, um, you know, I, I'd spend a lot of time, you know, looking at each individual character and, and you know, thinking about um, trying to make it accurate, but also convey the meaning um, to people in in the most understandable way right so that it, it it wasn't super correct but then kind of obscure um i wanted it to still be kind of readable to people who didn't have maybe any background in dallas thought or anything like that right so um so they wouldn't have to know terminology and things ahead of time to to really get it and so a lot of the commentaries are breaking this stuff down too and, and discussing individual characters especially when they either really um they really expand the meaning or if they tie into key kind of Taoist principles and stuff that people might be familiar with from other places like the Tao Te Ching or or what have you that then kind of tie it into the tradition and tie it all together yeah has the language changed though from the sixth century to now i mean did you really have to reverse engineer some of those characters um well yes and no so uh, you know a lot of chinese characters um in context will have totally different meanings so like modern chinese is is totally different in the sense that i mean they still use the same characters or, although they've gone to a lot of simplified characters now um, but you know, you use the same, the same, uh, characters in the same language is totally different meanings depending on context. So with, within a Taoist context, a lot of these, um, characters would have a very specific meaning, um, that you would immediately recognize with, you know, talking about Taoism. If somebody is a modern Chinese, uh, reader and they know nothing about Taoism, then it might be almost harder than if you're just approaching it from a Taoist wow. lens, right? So, um, and, and of course, um, a lot of these characters, just like, uh, you know, words in English that have multiple meanings. Um, and we even have those words that like, depending on the context, can have an opposite meaning, right? And of so, course, yes. Yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then there's slang and all that. But so in some senses, it's, it's simpler, um, to find the meaning of some of these characters in the Taoist context, because you you know you're not going to have to go way out there. Um, on the other hand, you know, pronunciation has changed greatly in that time and stuff, and and um, we don't always know what stuff sounded like way back when, but we, we you know we can uh, we know what it sounds like now and what the what the living tradition you know does with with the characters. So okay, yeah, so. You said there's one other translation. How does your translation differ? Do you feel like it's closer to the original text or what do you think about that? Oh, I don't know that it's necessarily closer or more accurate. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't uh, try to compete with her uh, chops any day. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I think it's maybe just well, it, it's more approachable in the sense of of the way I've written the commentary and and kind of tried to make it more applicable to everybody's uh, daily lives and experiences that everybody has. Um, this hers was just like a just a strict translation, no no anything to go with it, right? So, yeah. So you added the context, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. And as you go through these uh, 100 different principles, you could say, to me, it was almost like that book, The Four Agreements, except this was 100 mm. agreements because <laughs> the information was so good because they really are foundational concepts that keep energetically, this is what I was feeling, that keep mm. your auric field in complete balance and keeping it from leaking all over the place mm. because yeah. each one of those described a situation that might cause disharmony, cause mm. some sort of strife or confusion and energetically just causing a whole lot of distortion and, and leakage and loss. Yeah, distortion and confusion and all those things are a good way to look at it. Um, there's a there's a few terms that get used over and over again in Taoism. Um, there's ideas of alignment or like the straight and the crooked um, things like that. To where even in Chinese medicine, we use these kind of terms where um, like your Zheng Qi is is your upright upright chi is how they usually translate it it basically refers to like your vitality and your even your immune system right so if your your upright chi or your jung chi is strong and and stable and harmonious and doing what it needs to be done then um you'll you'll be more impervious to uh um you know, outside influences, um, whether it's, you know, diseases or, or what have you. Um, and the, when we talk about things energetically and we talk about chi, um, so you have your upright or your aligned energy, and then you would have things that would, um, make you kind of crooked or wobbly or whatnot. And we could even think of that in terms of, um, you know, like posture, right? So, when we have good posture and our spine is upright and and strong and and stable and everything, um, we have good posture. When you know we get all crooked and <laughs> misshapen and bent, um, you know, uh, over the course of years of having bad posture and things like that, you know, you can even think about you know your internal organs start to get squished and pushed around and like you don't have that openness and that that uh, freedom of movement and everything for things to function properly. And so we can think in similar terms with, you know, um, ethical behavior or things like that too, that, like you said, there are things that don't keep us in balance and things that, uh, yeah, we can have like energetic leakage kind of things and, and look at it that way as well. Um, as opposed to, you know, having that stable, uh, that stable vessel, um, <laughs> right. That we, we can, uh, first we want it to be empty so that it can receive things. Right. Um, and we don't want it to have any holes because then it'll just leak. Um, so anything we do, uh, receive from the universe, will just, will it'll just, it'll be gone. Um, but yeah, all those kind of ideas are there for sure. Wow. So what got you into Taoism? Because you have a 
master's degree in acupuncture. You have all this information and knowledge. What attracted you to this? Was it a previous life experience? I'm getting previous life, like <laughs> reincarnated Taoist. Uh, something's well, going on there, but you're clearly in that frequency. I, I don't know about that. Actually, um, I, I used to study with uh, Buddhist teachers for many years, and there was uh, one Buddhist Lama that was very famous for doing divinations for people. And according to his divination, um, my past life, I was a Buddhist, studied with a particular teacher. And uh, one of the uh, funny uh, aspects of that divination um he would also talk about how you might be connected with your family members in this present life and stuff like that. So apparently in my last life, my daughter was my grandmother and uh, she is a very sort of strong willed and, and uh, likes to boss me around. So I like to joke that, you know, Oh, maybe that makes sense. (laughs) If she used to be my grandmother, she's used to telling me what to do. And uh, (laughs) I have a strong willed daughter as well. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, wow. So I was picking up on that. Yeah. You, it seems like with the level of intensity and dedication, it seems like there's some carried over energy. Wow. That's super cool. But you took the deep dive early in life, right? Like what pulled you in? Well, you know, um, early in life, um, I think I was, I was very frustrated child. So, um, like just i don't know i i I sort of struggled had you know would get really frustrated really angry about stuff just like the way things worked in life and like just like why why is it like this and (laughs) why am i feeling this and why ah you know it was all kind of overwhelming i think and uh and i you know later on i mean i think that kind of questioning and that kind of always like trying to understand like what the hell is going on what is this life thing we're doing and stuff <laughs> um eventually you know i i think at first i i went to kind of more angsty pessimistic and uh teenage punk rock kind of uh, vibe for for a, a while you know grew up uh, skateboarding and snowboarding and doing those things and listening to punk rock in my bedroom and stuff like that. And then uh, once I hit college, I kind of, you know, started to read more widely. And, and, uh, you know, I had friends that had started to read, uh, you know, Eastern, Eastern philosophy and religion and stuff and kind of turned me on to some books. And from there, it was just like a deep dive and just read everything I could and, and kind of got voracious about it. And uh, um, yeah, then, you know, that turned me on to doing Asian studies in college and, and acupuncture and all these things. So. Wow. Okay. So the calling happened. It's so interesting when you interface with something that's so aligned with your life path, or in this case, multi-life path, because you feel that activation, you feel that charge that, and you're like, oh my God, here's some answers. Here's at the very least people talking about thinking about answers. Mm. This is amazing. That's incredible. And you've done so much incredible work. I mean, you've really, the books, you've helped people, you've done a lot. Um, and of course, I'm sure your acupuncture acupuncture practice is amazing. <laughs> well, I actually don't practice anymore, but oh. uh, I, uh, I I had a practice for a while. And then at a certain uh, point, um, my wife's a cardiologist, so she's extremely busy. And so at a certain point, um, you know, 
uh, someone had to be more available for the kids um, and to deal with their coming and going. And, oh, someone's sick today. They got to go home. And, and uh, you know, one of us had to be more more flexible and available. And so fell on fell on me. But, yeah, at a certain point, it, it made more sense to uh, to be around uh, and spend more time with them as opposed to keeping my uh, acupuncture practice going. But I'm sure. Well, you know, kids, they're amazing. They need parents in their lives in that way. It's an incredible, very valuable sacrifice. I don't even know if it's a sacrifice. It's an energy exchange that's happening. Yeah. And, and, and acupuncture is not always the most lucrative profession. Um, and so it's like, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're just, uh, you know, making money to, pay for daycare and then you never see your kids then it's like well maybe this doesn't make a lot of sense so yeah so it's been it's been great to uh spend more time with them and boy um in a lot of ways they've been my greatest teachers whether they uh, knew it or not (laughs) well i'm sure the things that you learned in the acupuncture school and you still apply to your life i'm sure there's intersection points with taoism and acupuncture i'm sure it all intersects with each other yeah, for sure. There's a big overlap. They're not, you know, they're not one in the same, but there's definitely, you know, if there's a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, and, you know, a very, very much a shared worldview. Um, and uh, yeah, so those, I think at the time, um, you know, uh, like in college, it was like, oh, am I going to stay in college, do grad school, all that kind of stuff and teach? And it's like, man, eh, no. So I, you know, I went in a different direction, got into organic farming and and those types of things. Um, and then when I was knew I wasn't going to do that forever and was ready to to go back to school, make it make a change for something different. That's when I uh, came back around to acupuncture, which I had thought about doing before, but uh you know, there wasn't really, um, you know, I couldn't really study at the time. There wasn't really, um, there weren't really Taoist teachers around to study with, um, back in those days, there were, you know, people doing Tai Chi and, and Qigong and stuff like that. And maybe they teach a bit about Taoism, but it wasn't really, you know, presented from the living tradition, um, in a kind of, uh, more authentic way. And, and so, um, you know, studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture was, was a way to be in that world without, uh, you know, without, uh, having that formal training, but something similar, like you said, it's, it's very similar, a lot of shared, uh, worldview and everything. Right. And then later on when I, when I found teachers to study with and then there we go. Well, it's an amazing <laughs> philosophy mindset whatever you want to call it again the book itself while it is kind of addressing these 100 paths that people could take it really touches on every core concept in Taoism. as you read the book the descriptions and everything you're really helping to educate people and just the Tao itself with this book yeah great well i i certainly hope so and yeah i mean the the so far the reception has been really positive. So I've been, I've been happy about that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's really a big part of writing the book is like, you know, hopefully people will find it helpful. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. If, um, I mean, 
in in a way I could have just written it for myself as like reminders to myself, you know, like Marcus Aurelius, um, like you were saying. Yeah, like like Marcus Aurelius, you know, because there's always um as much as we might like to think that once we've learned a life lesson or gained some insight that it's just like automatically with us forever, I don't think it really works that way. And and it's really easy to kind of get sidetracked and forget about things and go through things again because we need to, you know, we need to learn that lesson again. And I know I've definitely had times in my life where I feel like, oh, like you almost have a deja vu of like, like you have some sort of epiphany and you're like, oh, wait, I, I used to know this. Like, how did I, how did I forget this? And how, why did I have to go through this all over again? Right. And so, um, you know, when we, when we have reminders sort of built into our lives about um, things we value, you know, that really helps us, I think, maintain that progress that we make and not have to keep repeating lessons over and over again. Um, but life happens we we get sidetracked we have a long and winding road instead of a nice flat straight <laughs> path and and that's it, life right? it is the human experience <laughs> and what you're talking yep. about as you talked about in your book is the receding in wisdom concept where yeah. if you're not focused <laughs> that you do start to recede in wisdom you have to stay on top of it it's nothing personal to yourself, mm -hmm. it's just part of the human experience, the biology, in order to retain data and stay in that frequency, you have to keep these energetic affirmations going and read these things over and over. You even mentioned in your book that you recommend that people read the book several times and just actually read it slowly and contemplate each point because it's so dense and there's so much information there. Yeah, I think so. I think it. I think people will get a lot more out of it if, I mean, they can even take each remedy um, and just, I mean, each one, each one with the commentary is just, you know, between say one to, I think some of the longer ones might be, might be like three or four pages at the longest. So, I mean, if you read one every day um, and just took that to ponder for that day, you know, contemplate that one thought or one idea, um, I think you'll get a lot more out of it than if you're just, plowing straight through. I mean, this, again, this would be advice to myself as well, because <laughs> I have the tendency with uh, books like this or books about, you know, spirituality or whatever to, to want to just plow through them. But um, yeah, if you take a, a slower kind of more contemplative read, treat it like a daily reader kind of thing. Um, I think you'll definitely get more out of it. And, and uh, there's a, there's a saying in, um, in uh meditation practice in uh what they call internal alchemy in Taoism, often this tradition of of nadan that it takes 100 days to build the foundation and so you could you know spend 100 days reading this and and then that way you'll be kind of grounded grounded in the tradition and and let all these ideas start to percolate uh in there um and then yeah after i mean you could then start start back at the beginning again <laughs> i think that's fantastic advice because it is again timeless universal wisdom and in the book you say that those who follow the Tao will have refined chi i want to talk about that because this is again what we're talking about that energetic stabilization the the fortification of your auric field this is 
mm-hmm. what this seems to hint at, but tell me what Chi is from the perspective of Dallas. Um, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's sort of a general term, like, like we use energy in English. Um, you know, we can mean so many different things by saying energy and <coughs> Chi is kind of similar. Um, in some contexts, it can refer to like the weather, right? That would be like sky chi, right? <laughs> uh, and um, in one sense, the way Taoism views the world is that everything is energy um, in the same way that physics might, right? So um, we look at things as being subtler on a spectrum of subtle to more dense energy and matter would then be like very dense energy, right? Which is not so different than, than the way science looks at things. And uh, so, yeah, um, we're wanting to refine our energy, um, kind of harmonize it, keep it less chaotic, more coherent, more stable. Um, and I think, you know, for some people, they're going to experience that in a, in a more energetic way, or, or if people are used to working with energy or even people who can, you know, see energy or whatnot are going to experience it in one way for other people, they're going to experience it in their emotions, you know, um, or like a felt sense in the body. Um, you might experience it in just feeling more stable and relaxed, you know, and, and calmer, um, we have a some ideas in Taoism of of Qing Jing, um, which is like stillness and uh, tranquility, or um, you know uh, clarity and stillness. Those kind of ideas, and that's kind of what we're aiming for. Um, and so those sort of characteristics or those um, adjectives can be used to describe the Tao or how we experience the Tao as well. And so the stiller we are, the more harmonious our energy is, um, the more coherent we sort of are as a, as a person energetically. And I think we could even use that word coherence for, you know, um, every aspect of our life, you know, hopefully. Right. So yeah, yeah. Our, our thinking can be more coherent. Our, our, our energetic experience can be more coherent. Our emotions can be more coherent. Any, any of those things um, when we're more harmonious and, and um, you know, less likely to be thrown out of kilter um, by life, you know? Well, it does seem like that, that she and the Tao is being attacked on all fronts that have been modern society, whether <laughs> it's getting people to be consumers or doing things to activate them sexually with suggestive imagery and things like that. Mm-hmm. It seems like in 2024, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that in 2024, it's a lot of work to maintain that. Maybe that was back in ancient times where you were just hanging out in this yeah. beautiful forest. Yeah, no, I think there's something to that for sure. And that's where, uh, you know, spending time in nature and, and things like the, you know, the forest bathing and things like that, um, I think are essential for modern humans because we could easily spend our entire days inside, 
you know, disconnected from the, the real world and strictly, you know, putting all our attention and focus on, you know, online. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's like becomes a virtual, a virtual world for us. Um, but we, we didn't evolve in that virtual world, right? We evolved right. within the context of nature and we, we are interrelated with nature. And so just like you can't, take a plant and remove it from all the conditions that it's adapted to. You, you can't really do that with humans either. I mean, they may survive, um, but they're certainly not going to thrive kind of thing. No, I mean, it's not our natural state. Obviously evolution is happening, but it seems we are out of balance and that, as you said in your book, seems to be the root of a lot of our problems emotionally mm -hmm. and physically. And that was like a primary motivator for you when you realize that is this disconnection from nature and the effect that that has on us. It's huge. I mean, yes, we need the technology. Yes. There's 10 billion of us probably on this planet, but we still need to remember where we came from, literally our roots and, and how to maintain that respect reverence and resonance and, and we've gotten out of balance with that that's probably why you do your forest therapy and and nature guiding uh situations right yeah for sure so uh i mean for me personally i notice it almost immediately if i if i go out into nature i just like it's like after a couple of minutes it's almost like just oh, like yeah. um, make such a switch and and just you know everything calms down and gets quiet and still and and uh yeah it, it, you know any any sort of any sort of um stress or anxiety or whatever i'm feeling just you know and and it and it creeps up on you um sub subconsciously i think in our daily lives you know we're busy doing stuff and and we don't even notice that we're you know rushing around and all tensed up and and all this and stressed out until we get somewhere where we're getting that feedback from the natural world um, on in all sorts of different ways, right? Energetically, like chemically, you know, um, the sights, the sounds, everything is affecting us. Um, and, you know, when we're just sitting in four walls, staring at these blank walls, we're not getting that, we're not getting all that feedback and all that input um, and that regulation, you know, that, that comes with, being immersed in nature you know our our, our systems our, our bodily systems of all all different sorts um yeah have evolved to be regulated by being in contact and in relationship with all these different beings and and sights and sounds and everything else so and, and that's why you do the nature and forest guiding that you do yeah i think you know when forest i was therapy. when i was practicing acupuncture i thought you know a lot of a lot of people's health issues have to do with, you know, being out of balance and living kind of unnatural lifestyles and all these things. And so, you know, uh, that's why I wrote my earlier book, The Tao of Sustainability, was trying to give people tools for kind of getting back in, in touch with nature. And, and also, you know, thinking in terms of climate change and stuff, right? That's, I mean, if you talk about doing unnatural things it's like on a daily basis we're we're doing things that are throwing the the planet out of kilter here and so whether it's within our own lives or within the the life of the planet we've got to uh yeah find some balance and harmony again
Well, again, like you said, there's a biological reaction when we get in nature. Not only are we starting to resonate with the spirit of the planet, we're resonating with all the life that's around us, and it's activating our cellular memory, our ancestral memory. All of these things are happening, and your body's releasing serotonin. It's releasing dopamine. It's so happy to be in its natural state because the body itself, of course, is alive. It has its own consciousness. I have a feeling it actually would prefer to be outside as much as possible, but we've lost touch with that. So how does that relate to Taoism? Well, in in the grandest sense, Taoism is about being part of that, that system. Um, And a lot of the ideas and wisdom um, within Taoism have come from, just observing the natural world and and being a part of the natural world. Right. And so it's like you say, it's something that used to be kind of universal. um, Whether we're thinking of just different indigenous wisdom um, and, you know, being in relationship with the plants and knowing all the, the herbs and, and knowing how they, they affect us and all that kind of thing versus what we have now, where we have what they call like uh, plant blindness, where, People have like lost the ability to even differentiate between plants. You know, you look out the window, you just see green and you're like, oh, it's a bunch of plants. Then I can't even tell them apart. Right. But it turns out, you know, thinking about how we've evolved in relationship with nature that, um, you know, the, the light spectrum that the human eye can see green is right there in the middle and green is where we have the greatest ability to distinguish between different shades of of green and that's because you know we evolved in the forests in the greenery in the natural world and we used to need to distinguish between all these different shades of green for sustenance or like to know what was poisonous what was healthy to eat what was useful in you know a million different ways and you know when we separate ourselves from nature we we lose all that right all that ancestral knowledge and wisdom that we had for millennia um and then we it's like and it's so tough because every generation if if stuff like that doesn't get passed on it's like we have to rediscover it right and so i mean think about how much time we waste looking for the newest drug or the newest this or that when somebody in our ancestry probably knew what the remedy for, uh, you know, a particular ailment was and they could have just told us, but we, you know, we, we lost all that. We had to rediscover it through chemistry. We had to rediscover it through psychological practices. Whereas the ancients, the humans, they knew because they were operating at a different frequency. They were, intuiting a lot like you're saying like even uh, you know the uh the dao itself is about intuition that they were intuiting this higher knowledge they were interacting with plant spirits who were giving them the knowledge of how to heal it's mm-hmm. part of our process. We just happen to be here right now in 2024 as humans watching this, observing this, but knowing that the Tao itself is eternal. The Tao itself is a universal law. It is the universe. It is loss. And that is moving forward towards life, towards love. Would you agree that even with the strife, the wildness of this world right now, the Tao says we're moving to love? Yeah, I think um, I think about it a lot in terms of if we wanted to have, you know, life, think about life with a capital L kind of a thing that that 
catalyst, that impetus, um, like you said, that's moving forward, that's, you know, powering evolution and all these things that um, just wants to carry on and, and keep going. There's an idea in, um, in Taoism we call Yangsheng, which is like, means, you know, nurturing life or something like that. And, and often we use the term to apply to exercises like Qigong and stuff like that. So longevity exercises or things that are good for you, you know, things that nurture your life. And, uh, but if we think of it in the, in the widest sense, then it's that kind of idea of like, how can we be on the side of life versus the side of death? Right. Like how, yeah. How can we be loving and nurturing and helping things grow and, and prosper and all of that versus, you know, people who are looking to make a buck by destroying things. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And tell me if you agree with this, that life is for expansion and fuller expression. Life wants to be love. Life wants to grow. It wants us to grow. So therefore that's where we're going as humans mm -hmm. where we will get to that place where we are all living with the Tao and living yeah. the way. Do you believe that? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, even when, you know, we, we live in such an interesting time because we can, because we're so aware of what's happening on the entire planet, um, things can seem more catastrophic, I think, day to day than they actually are in the grand scheme of things, you know, in the grand scheme of the you know, history of humanity or whatever. Um, for the most part, most people are just living their lives and doing their thing and, and, and are in many ways better off than, you know, overall than they ever have been. Um, and in other senses, you know, we're doing, we're, we have the capability to be more destructive more quickly, like on a grander scale, I think. And so there are certainly times when we, we take a step back for sure. But it does seem like, generally speaking, if we're looking at it in terms of, of just life and that, that impulse to grow and expand and all that, that uh, that's the direction things are going. Um, and, you know, that interconnection has its, has its advantages and its disadvantages, of course. And so, you know, positive things can spread just as quickly as negative things um, in, in the world today. And so even when terrible things are happening, um, I mean, think about how quickly when, when something terrible is happening on the other side of the world, how oh, quickly, seconds. yeah, people know about it, say something about it, or, you know, trying to help the situation in whatever way, or, you know, whether it's charities or, or disaster relief or all of these things that like in the past, if there was some, you know, big earthquake on the other side of the planet and, you know, everything collapsed and thousands of people were killed, you would just wouldn't even know about it. Right. You either never would know about it because there was no communication or you would hear about it, you know, weeks or months later or something like that. And now we know about these things like instantly. And so we're, we're used to that speed. And so if, if things, if things don't get resolved instantly, we like, we're all impatient and frustrated and we get all, ah, all uh, carried away. But like, 
the natural world takes takes a little time. Yes, <laughs> you and, know? and that is a positive message because you know the natural world is like you said it is progression, it is moving forward, and there are these guidebooks to help us to correct us on our way. But to me, the fact that there is a core foundational way means that that way will come into full expression at some point in our history. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. better than it ever has been in a grander sense. We're going to go even higher and farther than we've ever went before as humans, I believe. Yeah. And if, you know, if we, if we don't keep an optimistic viewpoint about just life in general, then it's like, there's no point. It's exactly. Like, like what if, the hell are if, you doing here? If you're going to complain, right? You know, it's like you have to be, no matter what your circumstances, you have to have enough optimism within yourself to keep going. Right. Um, you can be in the worst circumstances in the world and still find meaning in life in the small little things, the little interactions between people. You can be in a war zone or a concentration camp or whatever and still find expressions of love and expressions of life and expressions of hope, right? And if you don't have those things, there's just no point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we need that to it is like the light at the end of the tunnel it gives us hope but it shows us that there's something bigger than us as well whatever that is like we were talking about the mystery and i just want to ask you one more question because i know we've talked about so much we've had an incredible interview this has been so cool but i just would like to know from your perspective does taoism have a mission does it seem like there's Mm. some focus some goal um well, on an individual level, I would say if it, if it were to have a goal would just be to try to um, in resonance or in alignment with the Tao. So if you can find your own personal path, I think when everybody finds their path, their their purpose, their meaning in life and, and what their, you know, what they are passionate about uh, what really kind of drives you as far as almost like that life impulse, right. That we were talking about that um, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. Right. And, but it's, I think when you find your personal path, um, then it aligns with that grander scheme of things. Um, And that ideally you find where those two kind of connect, right? How how you fit into the big picture is sort of is, is part of it. I think Um, as far as a goal, I mean, there are in some ways there's been different times in Taoist history where they've almost had like uh, almost their own little countries um, in parts of parts of China, especially in times when the, centralized authority wasn't so strong they almost had like little Taoist states right Interesting. um and so in that sense they kind of had different goals back then right um we wouldn't want to think in terms of having some sort of theocracy or something like that these days right because we understand that we're in this bigger world and and we would want to allow everybody to have the freedom to to express themselves in all these different ways as opposed to like imposing something on people right but um yeah, so I I think if Taoism has a goal or a purpose, it's very much in tune with life in general and just that expression and expansion and growth and 
all those things. Wow. That's so beautiful because yes, if, if the goal is to live in the way and to be in the flow of the universe, then that is again, life itself. It's wow. Super mind blowing. Incredible interview, Greg. We've had such a great conversation. (laughs) I want to tell people where to find you. Okay. He has a website. People, you can go there and you can find out everything that Greg's about his books, everything he's into at the moment. It's all there. And the website is www.gregoryripley.com. Now I'm going to spell this for you. G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-R-I-P-L-E-Y.com. GregoryRipley.com. And the book we're talking about today, which I highly recommend you get, go to Amazon or wherever you get books, get this book. It's incredible. The 100 Remedies of the Tao spiritual wisdom for interesting times and he has other books primal energy and introduction to qigong which we're gonna have to have you back on the show because i haven't had anybody tell me about qigong yet so i need to have you back at some point we're gonna talk about that he also has like he said the Tao of sustainability and he has a fiction book voice of the elders which kind of encapsulates these concepts all available anywhere you can get books and gregory again incredible conversation is there anything else you would like to leave our audience with before we go yeah i don't know other than uh you know just take care of each other we're all in this together um and we've got to figure out how to do it together and we can do it together that's the thing we have (laughs) the power we have the potential we can do it do you believe that greg we can do it right yeah for sure team humanity team human we can do this there we go The human family. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much, man. What an incredible conversation. Thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, please hold through the outro music. Again, everyone, GregoryRipley.com. The book's available on Amazon or wherever you get books. Check it out. Check out this translation. It's amazing. We will see you next week. Midnight on Earth.